So in 2 Thessalonians 1, we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see a greeting, we're going to see gratitude, and then we're going to see glory. So let's take a look at the greeting, get some context. Look at verse 1 and 2 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've ever read one of uh, Paul's letters, this is pretty traditional. This is what he usually starts off his greetings with. I like to remind people, especially if this may be your first time opening the Word of God, some people say, like, what is this? Why are we opening up someone else's letter, kind of, right? That's kind of weird. We have these guys writing to some people, and we're like, what is the point of this? Well, it's funny. We were told back in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse, um, what was it, 27? It said, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. See, Paul, the first thing he wrote, we believe, based on history, is 1 Thessalonians. There's a chance we think that maybe he wrote Galatians right after that, and then he wrote 2 Thessalonians. So that kind of gives you an idea. Again, we're looking 52, 53 uh, AD. But the point is, we are supposed to be opening this because it's for all the holy brethren, everyone in Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the? Yeah. Romans 10, 17. We need the word of God at every moment, at every day, to navigate, to direct, to guide us. Because if we get away from the Word of God, what you're going to be taking in is stuff we were never meant to build our life upon. <laughs> See, I don't know where you guys are at this morning, but when we come to this, I think this should be just a breath of just fresh air to us. Just rejuvenating. <laughs> because I don't know what you've gone through this week or what you've been taking in the last couple weeks. The world is in chaos right now, generally speaking. <laughs> and I think we're seeing some incredible things happening in this world. But just because they're incredible doesn't mean that it doesn't make us like, get uncomfortable sometimes. In a way that could potentially leave that sound mind that we have been called to maintain in Jesus Christ, as, as 2 Timothy 1.7 says. But see, when you come to the Word of God, this letter that Paul has written that we believe is absolutely inspired by the Holy Spirit for us to take in, it reminds us of God's love, it gives us a sound mind, and we realize, man, there's power in the Holy Spirit who indwells in us, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, that we would go out and fulfill the Great Commission because the time is short. Amen? The time is at hand, 1 Peter says. <laughs> and see, you might say, well, what does that mean? Peter said it was at hand, you know, 2,000 years ago. Guess what that means now? It's more at hand, if you can say it like that, right? It's here. It's ready. And now you might say, James, are you naming dates? No, but no man knows the day or hour of the coming of the Lord, and no man knows the number of his days. By rapture or by rupture, we are going to be with the Lord. And see, when we read this, when we take it in, we are grateful that Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, another name for Silvanus is Silas. We read about these guys. They were regular partners of Paul. Uh, starting in about Acts 16 and 17, they yoked up with Paul and they went out with him on his second missionary journey. And they came in Acts 17 to this city called Thessalonica. And see, what we see is that it's the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who he's writing to. But we read that and we go, this is a radical statement. Because you need to understand in Thessalonica, it was a dark, pagan, materialistic, sexually driven culture. 
I know I've said it, you can't relate to that culture, right? That doesn't happen anywhere around here anymore, right? That's old things, right? There's nothing new under the sun. All things are vanity except the Word of God. Man, you take in the Word and you respond to it and it changes absolutely everything. And see, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote to them and he said in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, he said that the Thessalonians had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So you have these guys that went out to do ministry and their hearts of the people were ready. They were prayed over. I believe Paul prayed often wherever he went that it would be received. And when it was received, there was a response. And see, they became glowing testimonies in a dark world that, man, Jesus makes us new creations. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. What a blessed message this morning. The gospel is good news because it is a new thing that we can participate in. It is coming into Jesus Christ and knowing life more abundantly. <laughs> And see, the Thessalonians, they embraced it. And we see in verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we read that and we're like, okay, common greetings, right? If we put it in English, it would be, yo, what's up, right? That's kind of the same thing. <laughs> to some extent. See, when you were Greek, you would say, grace to one another. If you were a Jew, you would say, shalom, peace to one another, right? But what he's saying, it's deeper than that. It's not just a, hey, what's up? It's remember how you became the church at Thessalonica. You received the gospel that is absolutely the grace of God. And when you receive that, what came after grace was peace. Chuck Smith always pointed this out in his studies. Anytime he would start a letter or anytime Paul ends a letter, he would go, what is the order here? You never see peace and grace. You see grace and peace. Because, see, man offers peace in all kinds of ways. It's a false peace. It's a fake peace. <laughs> How many times the world has said, we finally have peace and safety. We're going to keep it. We're going to maintain it. <laughs> and then you look around at the news, and you're like, that's not working. <laughs> Three years ago, everyone had the solution on how to save every, like, like just restore the nation, whether it be with racism or medical issues. Everyone had an answer. How'd that work out? We're still in chaos. <laughs> Everyone that marched, everyone that participated and said, this is the answer. It hasn't solved anything. But those that have ran with the banner of the name of Jesus, there is a true peace that it just overtakes the heart of every believer that embraces it. Amen? Let me be clear what I mean in this. <laughs> that if you believe you have peace right now and you say, I don't need grace, man, I'm good. I had some, a, a friend tell me this one time. He said, oh, I don't, that's cool that you have Jesus, but I'm doing okay. And I had to break it down kind of like this. I said, look, this is like you got a happy meal at McDonald's every day. You're like, oh, I eat beef. I eat hamburgers all the time. I'm like, bro, I didn't even hamburgers. That's slime, right? But first of all, you think that you're doing good until I take you to get a legitimate steak at Hutchins, right? Now you're like, oh, dude, I thought I was doing good. Now I've tasted the real deal. <laughs> I like food, by the way. So the reality is people say things, I'm good without Jesus. No, you don't actually have true peace. And your false peace gets shattered when things come into your life that you didn't want there. When things go crazy in the world, your peace gets shattered and rattled. And see, in Christ, we are to have a sound mind remembering that Jesus is on the throne. Amen. That the Lord is on the throne. 
And that, man, his grace has covered us. It's brought us into this new blessed peace that we have with God. We're told in Romans 5, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. <laughs> we have peace with God, though at one point we had an appointment to wrath. And it's all because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. And see, when we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we need a Lord, we need a Savior, because, man, left to ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. Left to ourselves, we cannot stand in the holiness of God. We need the completed work of Jesus. And when we abide in it, oh, man, peace abounds. <laughs> Amen? Look at the gratitude here in verse 3 and 4. It says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all, he's from the South, y'all, abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So what Paul's doing here, he's citing the reasons that he would boast in the Thessalonians. Now, we think that's kind of funny. We hear the word, like, 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 boast, and we're like, what does that mean? I thought we're not supposed to boast. This is like he's giving glory to God. This is not boasting in his ability to raise up a church. This is Paul saying, man, this is an incredible work, and we are giving thanks to God for it. <laughs> a scary thing that can happen in the church is when the pastor starts to think, oh, these people are here for me. It's because I'm so good and strong. God forbid the Lord will crush that church. <laughs> we need to remember that it is the Lord who works through the power of his spirit and through the giving of his word. We get away from that, we get in trouble, amen? <laughs> but in this section, he says, we're bound to give thanks to God always. And the word for bound is aflio. This means required under obligation. <laughs> now you might be like, well, that's kind of weird. Like you're being forced to give thanks? That's, that's not what it means though. It's talking about being so indebted, you recognize the need to repay. I am obligated to praise God for the work that he has been doing. A continual gratitude was appropriate. Paul knew that. And see, again, there's no sweeter experience for the minister. For those in ministry, let me be clear, I'm not just talking about the pastor, anyone that's in ministry, and you're all in ministry, amen? You all have something to do. And see, when you start ministering to someone and they receive it, they grow in it. It can be at the workplace. It can be your children at home. It can be wherever you may be at school. When you start to see that come to fruition, you go, man, thank you, Jesus. Man, in spite of me, they could recognize this. That's a, a work of the Spirit, a work of the Lord, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, as Romans 2, 4 says, guiding them into truth. And man, I think Paul just routinely gave thanks to them. We saw this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. He said, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father. <laughs> and see, what he's saying is, man, there is an evident change that has happened in you. We're so grateful for it. And in verse 3, what he does, he cites two tangible things they're doing that he can thank God always for. I love this first one. It says in verse 3 that their faith grows exceedingly. <laughs> this is cool because the word for exceedingly, I'm going to try this, huperoxano, okay? <laughs> You're like, what does that mean? 
the root of that word in the Greek has to do with a plant that you've put the seed in the ground and you've watered it and it starts to grow and it grows big and strong and the winds come and it still stands and it even produces fruit. To grow, your faith has grown like a big, healthy plant that's producing fruit. <laughs> what did Jesus say in John 15, 5? He said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He said, but without me, you can do nothing. Man, we should be abiding in the true vine, Jesus Christ, responding to the grace of God by living after the grace of God. <laughs> you see, I believe it was David Guzik, probably, who said this. <laughs> he said, the grace that saves you is a grace that changes you. See, there's often this debate of, well, grace, 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 but what does that mean? I am to respond to it, but I am saved by grace. No one can boast in their works, amen? Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not out of yourself. It's a gift of God. No one can boast, but there are these good works that have been prepared for us to walk in. Respond to that grace. Though you don't boast that it was your doing, you respond by doing something. And man, their faith was producing fruit. And I believe it came from meditating upon the Word of God. Because again, we already said it. I won't make you repeat it, but we know. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That means keep going. You want your faith to grow? Be in the Word. If you get away from the Word, your faith will get stagnant. But if you're in it and you're eating it, you're participating, you're taking it in, as 1 Peter says, 1 Peter 2.2, it says, as newborn babes... Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If a mother withholds her milk from her infant baby, that baby will not make it. <laughs> it is every nutrient that they need. It is life-giving. And I love it. We talked about this, I think it was in 1 Thessalonians 1, how Paul said, man, I, I took care of you like, like a nursing mother takes care of their baby. <laughs> That's a great love. Because we said, what does Paul get out of that exchange? He's just taking care of them. He didn't come expecting anything from the baby, so to speak. And see, God says, come to me, I will feed you. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I don't know who in here needs to hear this, but this morning, we have to remember Zechariah 1.3. It says, return to the Lord, and he will return to you. James says, draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 says, it is time to come back to the Lord if you've strayed. <laughs> it is time to come and open his word and expect that he will, he will speak to you. He will move in you and you'll grow. And that not only will you grow in knowledge of the word, but as you do that, it says in verse 3, the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. <laughs> what comes out of knowing the word? Your faith grows but you also should have a love of God that comes out of your heart. You say, why is that? Because when you study the love that the Lord has poured out upon every one of us, while we were sinners, God demonstrated his love by giving his son Jesus for us. Romans 5, 8. I don't know what your life looked like before Jesus, but I know what mine looked like. And man, I can't say I can take credit for anything. It is by grace that I have been saved. It is by grace that you have been saved, amen? And when we understand that, we go, man, the great love of the Lord, the manner of love that he has loved us with, it should make us rejoice. He says that their love was abounding towards each other. That's pleonazo. It means to increase more and more. And it's a reminder to continually grow in the word. But as you do that, you should grow in love. I quote this often, but John 13, 35 
It says, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I think it's really easy as a church to say, man, people will know us as his disciples if I just judge everyone as hard as I can. If I can be as legalistic as possible, then they'll know that I'm his disciple. Now, I'm not laying a trip on you. I'm telling you, this is, my, this is my downfall as a believer, is to look at everyone else as, man, they just don't got it like me. I've studied the word. I know better than them. No, 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 no. The love of God for one another, and there should be a love that says, man, I want to testify to the world to draw them into this love, that they would come into this. The church can get, I won't say toxic, I hate that word, problematic, <laughs> The church can get problematic when we lean so far into the world, let me, or into the word, let me, hear me out, where we get puffed up, like 1 Corinthians 8.1 says. We get knowledge and we walk around like, man, I'm just so smart. It's no wonder God chose me, I'm so good, right? That's a problem. <laughs> then you get the other side, though, where you, now you don't study the word at all and everything's just, and I know I've said it, I'm going to say it again, my old pastor, sloppy agape, okay? You get this love where it's like, oh, do whatever you want, man. The, I don't know what the word says, so just do whatever and we'll just live together and we'll all be in unity and coexist. These are the things that people like to, you know, put on their bumper and whatnot. But if you mention the name of Jesus, they don't like to coexist anymore. It's interesting. But now, <laughs> the gospel is offensive and people need to be offended. <laughs> they need to realize that they're sinners. They need to realize that they need to come in, but they can become saints as they put their trust in Jesus Christ. And see, when we think about all of that, <laughs> there's got to be this balance, and this is why we do what we do every Sunday. I'll tell you, there are times where people say, man, this is the perfect season for this kind of topical study. Man, you can just spend the whole morning talking about this thing, that thing. Hey, we know what's happening, and we're going to cross it in Scripture. I guarantee it. We're going to talk about things happening around us. <laughs> but we have a job to do today as the church. It is to absolutely stand for truth as given in Scripture, filled with the Spirit, representing the Lord in His agape love. What else are we called to do? <laughs> we get sidetracked. We get distracted with things that the Lord says, what are you doing here? Get back into the vision I gave you. Get back to the word. Amen? And so it's interesting. <laughs> he says in verse 4, again, he, he's boasting and glorying in them. And he's telling all the churches, right? He says, we boast among the churches of God because of your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So Paul says, man, when I go to other places, I use the Thessalonians as an example of what it is to endure hard times. <laughs> To endure the persecution, remember in their culture, all kinds of weird gods you could worship. If you were a Greek and you left that, it's interesting. The families would be like, that's so weird. You now worship one God, and that's not my God. That puts an, a, a sword of sorts, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 10, 34, can divide the families. <laughs> you guys know this, right? When you came to Jesus and invested your life in Christ, the world thought you were strange. Your family thought you were strange. But yet, while that division came, there was a unifying that happened with you in this church body where you have people in this room that are closer to you than your own family. And praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Our desire is not to continue to push away the world, it's to invite them in. But as they may push away, we have to say, man, that's okay, I'm going to continue to endure. I'm going to stand for Jesus. See, for the Jews that were there in Thessalonica, it wasn't a matter of leaving many gods. It was, in their mind, they had embraced a false Messiah in Jesus Christ. This is still something that Jews are very offended by today. That the church would say, we've been grafted into your promises, but you're not coming because you didn't accept Jesus. They're offended by that. And it sounds offensive when you say that. <laughs> but see, there's this, this thought of, no, you have to come into our law. You have to come into our thing. And we know that zealous, envious Jewish men followed Paul wherever he went. 
And they would try to, we call them Judaizers, they would come in and tell new believers like the Thessalonians, hey, grace, faith, that's not enough. You need to be like, like we are. You need to keep the Mosaic law. So you had Judaizers. Then you had flat-out Jewish men that just hated the church like Paul did when he was Saul. <laughs> Going around breathing threats, as Acts 8 says. And yet they endured it. These new believers continued to endure it. And Paul says, man, this is awesome. And remember, Paul knew the persecution that the people were enduring because he got sent away from Thessalonica in Acts 17, verse 10. He gets sent away, and they, they came to destroy him. They came to destroy the church. And Paul says, man, you guys are going through it, but you're standing with the Lord. Let me remind you that we are not in a sprint, we are in a marathon. <laughs> so many people run so hot and fast at first, but then the tribulation comes. <laughs> the persecution, the trials, the cares of this world. Remember the parable of the sower. <laughs> the seed lands in some places, it even starts to sprout a little bit. But man, that sun comes up and it scorches it like persecution. It gets real hot, gets real uncomfortable, and it never produces fruit. And man, that's a scary place to be. You don't want to be there. What you want to do is continue to remember the word of God, abide in the Lord, continue to grow. Paul even says in 1 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, he says, no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Who has that as a life verse, right? Oh, I'm appointed to suffering. This is cool, Lord. I want that. On all, I'm going to get that tattooed on my arm or something, right? No. This is the kind of verse we don't really enjoy hearing about. <laughs> But I have to remind you, I do this often, John 16, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you would have peace, that you wouldn't be fearful. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, promise of God, <laughs> but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. This temporal world is passing away in the lust of it, according to 1 John 2, 16. Are we living to please this world? Are we living to survive in this world? Are we living to thrive in this world? <laughs> Man, I pray that as Colossians 3.24 says, that we would seek after Christ. He's our audience. That we would serve the Lord, not man, knowing that there is an inheritance and a reward that comes because we belong to Jesus and endure these things. Amen? Look at 5 through 7. Paul's going to continue encouraging the Thessalonians in their tribulation. It says which is manifest evidence, speaking of the tribulations, of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. <laughs> so Paul now is talking about, look, at, you're going through these things. You're enduring these persecutions, these tribulations. He says, in all those things that you're doing, he says in the Greek, it serves as being an enigma. <laughs> that enigma, what it means is a manifest token, evidential proof that you belong to God. I don't know how the prosperity gospel works when they say things like, now you come to Jesus, you're not going to have trials and things. This is a theme throughout Scripture that God actually in his righteous judgment choosing you as his people knows that you're going to endure these things and allows you to go through hard things. That flies in the face of that false gospel that says, man, it's just going to be awesome. Peaches and cream coming to Jesus, right? You have officially stepped into a battle 
as you come to Jesus. There's a reason that he gives us spiritual battle, war battle. Uh, what am I looking for? Yeah. Armor, thank you. My, I didn't drink my coffee this morning. Armor, Ephesians 6. I do know that, Ephesians 6. <laughs> This is where it's listed. We want to put that on because there's a battle to go out to. There's a battle to, to, to run into. <laughs> but realize that we're to stand in it knowing that it's Jesus' victory. We cannot win the battle on our own, right? We are called to stand. Stand, therefore, we're told in Ephesians 6. <laughs> you just stand and trust in Jesus, man. He's going to take care of it. But sometimes you have to endure these things, this suffering. Let me tell you, you might say, well, cool, I suffer all the time. That must mean that I just belong to God. Can I tell you, you can suffer for really dumb reasons. <laughs> I'm just being real. You want me to give you an example? Look at first, I'm going to tell you, 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16. It says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So I would ask you this morning, are you suffering because of your bad decisions in your flesh? Are you suffering because of your bad attitude that the Lord never called you to have? For instance, are you going around murdering people and going, oh, that's because I belong to Jesus? No, it's because you broke the law, right? That's what Peter's saying. Don't do dumb things and blame God for it. And you might be like, man, that's a hard word. I have been that guy so many times. I remember leaving church one time and getting a speeding ticket on the way home after having a great service. And you know what I said? I said, oh, Satan always wants to just take away my joy. And someone said, what, you, so they said you named your gas pedal Satan? Is that what the case? No, and it's like, all right, my bad, my bad. I'm just acting like a fool. Why am I blaming this on anyone? That's my bad. But yet when you come to Jesus and you start standing for the Lord, oh, it gets hot. <laughs> You know, you have, you have some guys in Daniel <laughs> got thrown into that fiery, that, that fiery furnace. And it was all because they wouldn't bow to the king of this world. <laughs> it was all because they wouldn't bow to their culture. They said, we're going to stand for truth. And do you know what happened in that fire? <laughs> they didn't get burned. First of all, there was a fourth one in there with them. <laughs> I believe a Christophany, the appearance of the Son of God. But the, the ropes that they were bound with... The ropes burned, but they themselves did not. Isn't that incredible how the fire of the enemy used to try to destroy us ends up giving us a stronger faith in who the Lord is as we endure it. We go, man, the, the flames, the ropes, man, they couldn't do anything to us because the Lord is with us. The Lord has called us. And see, when we stand for truth, sometimes we suffer like those guys in Daniel. And see, we're told in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, it says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm curious, you don't have to answer, but <laughs> I'm guessing that there are some fiery trials happening to people in this room right now because you belong to Jesus now let me be clear, that doesn't mean that necessarily someone else is attacking you. But can I tell you, sometimes the Lord allows, <laughs> we've just read it, He allows it, you've been appointed to this, that your faith might be tested, as Warren Wearsby says, so your faith can be trusted. See, it's so easy to say I have a faith theoretically. <laughs> but man, when you start getting tested on that faith, does it hold up when this world is in chaos? 
Does it hold up when your happiness goes away? Let me be clear. Joy is not happiness. Amen? The joy of the believer, man, the salvation that we have is the joy. Of, that, that salvation we have in the Lord, that's the joy that we have. Now, things might change in our lifetime. We may have a hard season and then a good season. But we need to understand that God is on the throne in all seasons. <laughs> and the season that you're working through, this trial that you may be enduring, man, I would tell you the same thing that Paul and Barnabas told the believers in Acts 14, 22. He said, continue in the faith, saying to them, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> and see, I love when 1 Peter talks about your faith being refined as gold. If you guys have been at the men's study, I think we even talked about this this past week. Again, didn't plan it. It just all works together. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> but in 1 Peter, he talks about your faith going into the fire like gold. A goldsmith will take that dross-covered, gross clump of whatever. <laughs> he'll put it in the fire, and he'll continually put it in there. He'll hammer it. He'll shape it. If that gold could scream, it would scream. <laughs> and he does that over and over until it reflects the goldsmith in the gold. Our, our reason for going through things is that we may reflect Jesus better when we come out of them. <laughs> that we would know who the Father is, that we would trust his will, even when it doesn't align with ours. Remember, Jesus prayed, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But nonetheless, your will be done, not mine. Jesus did it first. <laughs> He suffered worse, he suffered first, and he calls us to follow that, and man, he gives us opportunities to be made more like him. In verse 6, though, what it says here, you'll notice that it says, since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. <laughs> now, this is interesting. He says, yes, you're going to go through tribulation persecution at the hands of wicked men that don't even realize they're just being motivated by, by Satan, by the enemy. <laughs> I think about that often, that men blaspheme the name of Christ. They'll blaspheme and, 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 and offend you and talk badly about you. They don't even realize that they're serving to prove the truth of the word of God. The fool says in his heart that there is no God, and people walk around saying there's no God. They're fulfilling that scripture, right? We can point there in the Bible. They're fools. But the reality is, as they do these things, we go, man, this is what the Lord said would occur. We're going to go through these hard things. But he says, do you understand that God does not turn a blind eye to those that are doing these things? That should send shivers up our spine. Think of how often the name of Jesus is blasphemed every moment of every day. And we're told that every idle word will be brought into judgment. Matthew 12, 36. Every single thing that man is saying against the Lord, he's keeping track. See, it's been said, Jesus, God, is a good accountant. He has a record of everything. And he's going to call it to light someday. And man's going to have to stand before it. And what Paul is saying, he says, look it, there's going to come a time where he is going to recompense. He's going to repay. And see, that should be an encouragement like Romans 12, 19. It says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And see, that's a heavy statement to say. Because we understand that there is a true God who has revealed himself through Scripture as being holy, righteous, and just. Amen? We have been saved by grace because anyone living who tries to stand for the Lord will be found guilty if you don't trust in the, in the promised word of God in Jesus Christ. And see, there are so many that have rejected it. And we pray for salvation to come, but those that are fighting God's people, the church, <laughs> fighting against God's covenanted people, Israel, when God starts judging people, when that day comes, 
No one's going to be able to blame anyone but themselves for rejecting the Word of God. And see, what we know about this, according to verse 7, it says not only will God repay those that are troubling those that are, that are suffering, but He's going to give rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Now, I have to pause it because you might read that and go, well, a couple weeks ago we were in 1 Thessalonians 4 and we were talking about the rapture. We're talking about Jesus coming down from heaven, not all the way to earth, though. He's in the clouds and the church goes up. You remember we talked about this, the harpazo, right? Now, there's very clearly different things happening on earth at the second coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, which needs, is no sign to say, when is that going to happen? It can happen at any point. When everyone's out there saying peace and safety, as we studied last week, then we know that the Lord's going to begin that day of the Lord, and I believe it begins with that pre-tribulation rapture, the taking up of the church, but there's a second coming of Jesus. Matthew 24, 25, Christ talks about coming again, and when he comes, he comes all the way to the earth, the foot comes down to Mount of Olives, as told in Zechariah 14, and when he arrives, there's going to be a judgment of nations, there's going to be an establishment of a kingdom, None of that was mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4 because we were talking about a different event. We are talking about the rapture. At this point, he says, someday all of the wickedness of man will be judged. It's going to be at the second coming of Jesus Christ. If we read things about a gathering and a judgment, we're talking about the second coming. If there's no judgment establishing a kingdom and we're talking about a gathering, that's the rapture of the church. One where the church goes up, the other the church comes back with him. His saints come with him with the angels and it's established. Revelation 19, if you're curious where this comes from, Daniel 9 gives us a timeline of how this will look. <laughs> We're, we see this in Revelation. We see this in Matthew 24 and 25. We read about it in 1 Thessalonians 4. And now we're talking about it here and it's important. Because there's going to be an unveiling of Jesus Christ for who he is. And see, in the rapture, there's this calling up, a harpazo of the church where we go to meet him, and that's going to hit this world with absolute confusion. I could give you all of my, all of my theories on how to explain it, but it doesn't matter. It's going to be very confusing to this world when the church, his church disappears and is raptured. And you're like, where do we get this from? Again, 1 Thessalonians 4 is the main place we grab this from. You see it in Revelation 4.1. But in this case, what we're talking about is there's also going to be this revealing where everyone sees Jesus for who he is. Jesus said in Matthew 25.31, he said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, which is what we're talking about here, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Two very different comings of Christ, appearances or unveilings of Christ. The appearance to the church when we go up, another revealing, where everyone goes, Man, he showed up. Let me tell you, there are going to be varied responses. <laughs> For some people, we're going to have rest. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. He's dealing with the sins of man, the, the, those that persecuted us, those that brought us through hard tribulation. He's here to do that. But there's going to be those that see him and they're going to mourn because they rejected him. See, this is the reminder this morning that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Jesus said this in John 3.19. It wasn't because the light didn't reveal itself. It's because man loves darkness rather than light. You'll have no one to blame at the coming of Jesus that is prophesied and promised all throughout Scripture. From Genesis 3, that man, the serpent is going to be crushed under Jesus' foot, right? 
As Romans 16.20 says, under the feet of the church, Jesus will do this crushing as well. There's going to be rest to the persecution and tribulation, and he's going to fulfill it. Anyone that tells you that this is all, like, not literal, we got a problem. <laughs> Why does Jesus keep saying he's coming? Why did the Old Testament testify that he's coming? When is this going to be made right? He's coming again. Amen? And I'm just going to, all right, I'm going to side note, because I don't have much more, and we're ahead of time. Sorry, guys. I could let you go early, but I'm just not. I can't have that happen. <laughs> just, no, I have to side note here. Because we gathered to pray for Israel on Tuesday night here. And some of you guys are here for this. Praise the Lord. And I know Tuesday it was last minute and everything else. But some of us were here and we were praying. And I felt like it was an opportunity to remind the church of why we stand with Israel. And see, people hear that today. I'm on social media. I see what people are saying. Oh, the church is crazy. You're standing with these people that have just, they're wrong. They, that's not their land. That's not the thing. I go back to Genesis 12 as a Bible-believing Christian. Amen. And in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Abraham is told, get out of your father's house, from your family, to a land that I will show you. Guess, guess where that land's going to be, by the way? The very parts of the land that people are fighting over today. This is in Genesis 12, not that far into the Bible. Okay, long time ago. And then we're told, you will actually be a great nation. And you know what? You're going to be a blessing. And then in verse 3, he says, Those who curse you, I will curse. But those who bless you, I will bless. And he says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you know why all the families of the earth are blessed because of Abraham? Because of Jesus. The bloodline, the people group that Jesus is not only from, but the king of. And see, people that don't understand the Bible... I could see how they would try to say, you guys are crazy. Why are you supporting the, the Jewish people? You're not Jewish. You're Christians. Can I tell you that in Scripture, Romans 11, 26, we're told that there is, it's the only place in Scripture we can guarantee a revival that is coming to a certain people group. Do you know who that people group is? Israel. Why do you stand with Israel? First of all, I will bless those who bless you. I want to be blessed. I don't feel like being cursed by God. That's a good reason. <laughs> Secondly, the land was theirs promised to them back in Genesis 12. How many times the people messed it up by doing crazy things sometimes? Go through the Old Testament. How many times they messed it up and the Lord keeps bringing them back? Does that not just define that this is real, this scripture, this little piece of land, the size, someone said the size of Michigan? There you go. Give me something. There you go. It's small. It's small. I don't care what state you want to compare it to. You would think this thing was the size of Russia when we talk about it. And the whole world is focused on it. There's something deep that is spiritually involved with Israel. Now, I will be clear. We understand there are innocent people that get, get, get harmed on both sides. But welcome to the fallen nature of man. There is no man that is going to save the situation. God is on the throne. He's going to sustain his people. And they will. They will, for the most part, generally speaking, come to Christ and put their faith in Jesus. And do you know that that's all plotted out throughout Scripture? That when these things happen, it just strengthens my faith even more. It doesn't mean that this has to be the conflict. Let me be clear. But there's going to be a conflict at some point that ushers everything in that Scripture says. And man, I get excited when I see things. Not because I'm bloodthirsty but because it means, man, the Lord called this. He wrote history before it ever happened. <laughs> Does that blow your mind? No other holy book has ever had prophetic things that hold true. The Bible over and over and over, hundreds if not thousands of times, prophetically proclaims things, and it's fulfilled. 
So we stand with Israel. <laughs> Thought I'd mention that today if you were curious. If you haven't heard me teach the, you know, 100-something hours in the Bible yet, this is where we stand. <laughs> it's biblical. Now we pray for everyone to come to salvation, to praise the Lord that the grace of Jesus Christ is available to any man, anywhere, Jew or Gentile, whoever you are. Any country, any people group can come to Jesus Christ today, and we pray for revival. Amen? Amen. I bring that all up because there are people suffering in Israel right now that go, where is the Lord? Is he seeing any of this? The Lord sees all of it. And those that fight God, they're going to have to answer for it, whoever they are. And one day Jesus Christ is coming again. Man, Israel's going to turn to him. They're going to put their trust in him. It's proclaimed. And man, all things, man, it's going to come together and be made right. Amen? Our hope is in Jesus. <laughs> Look at 8 through 10. We're almost done here. It says... Speaking of this revelation, this unveiling of Christ, it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired, admired among all those who believe because of our testimony among you was believed. So what he's doing now, he's describing the nature and purpose of the second coming of Christ. And he says, look, he's coming in flaming fire. Remember, Hebrews tells us that God is a consuming fire. He's not coming to play around. He's not coming as the suffering Messiah, which had to be done. He's not coming as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, as John 1.29 says. He's coming on that white horse. He is coming as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, as, as Revelation 19 shows. He is coming as the Lion of Judah. And see, Jesus fulfilled the suffering Messiah stuff perfectly. What makes us think he's not going to fulfill the ruling and reigning Messiah stuff? He's coming again. He came physically the first time. He's coming again physically to establish his kingdom. Amen? We know that from Scripture. And it says he's coming to take vengeance, which again, we read that and we're like, that seems harsh. Remember, if we have the wrath of man taking vengeance, it gets problematic. But when we have this word taking vengeance, this phrase in the Greek, it's one word, ekdigesis, it means to dole out justice in total righteousness. All of us want justice when there's something wrong that has occurred. I guess unless it's us that did it, right? Then we want grace. <laughs> Everyone else, when there's a crime, when there's a hate crime, when there's a, a, a war crime, we're like, when will justice come? There's only one that can do it rightly, and he's coming. <laughs> And he's going to dole out this vengeance that is righteous and just. We're told in Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways. Praise the Lord for that. Because what that means is that when God promised that we can be made righteous through Jesus Christ, he's going to honor his word above his name. Though he is holy and just and perfect, we have no business standing before him. Jesus has become our advocate and our righteousness. He became sin for us that we might become the righteous of God in Him, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Amen? Hallelujah for that. I have no business standing before a holy, righteous God, but when I embrace His Word, what He says, man, I can come to know God, and I can walk in a way that pleases God. But if you see here in verse 8, it says that this vengeance is coming towards two specific groups. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, this is what's important to note. This is the idea that speaks of the revealed knowledge of God and the responsibility of every man to respond accordingly. 
Let me ask you this. Has anyone ever told you, well, hey, that's great, but what about the guy out in the jungle that's never heard about Jesus? What's going to happen with him, right? Well, let me tell you, the first thing to say is, well, you're not in a jungle, and you have heard of Jesus, so that doesn't really matter right now. You need to choose what you're going to do, amen? That's the first thing. Don't, don't, you know, deflect here. Focus at what's hand. But then... We know that God is righteous and just because he demands that man respond to what has been revealed to him. Luke 12, 48 says, to whom much has been given, much will be required, right? You will be expected to answer for what you've been told. And guess what? You're all responsible now hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ from scripture. It's a double-edged sword. Sorry, guys. Now you're responsible to answer that. But those people that have never heard the gospel, but it, we're told in Romans 1.20, it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Look around at how everything has grown into place. A tree outside should blow your mind and go, I didn't make that, I don't know who did, there must be a God. The guy out in the jungle can look around and go, man, I didn't make any of this. Someone else must have, made, must have made this. That's what you're responsible in that case. But guess what? You're not in a jungle. You've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you have to respond and respond accordingly. You see, we're told not to insult the spirit of grace in Hebrews 10, 29. You are saved by grace, but again, the grace that saves us is a grace that changes us. That we would respond like the Thessalonians to turn from gods, these, these idols, and begin walking after the living God, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, that we would no longer walk in darkness. Again, the light has come into the world, and the condemnation is when we don't follow and accept Jesus Christ. That's the condemnation. It's not that you only heard a partial gospel. It's whatever you heard, you have to respond to it. And I got news for you. We're hearing stories. I've heard these stories for the last 10 or 15 years. People in... Islamic countries that have never had a Christian in their presence are having visions of a raised, resurrected, risen Christ telling them that he is the truth. Now, I will tell you, I believe we don't see that in America because guess where it's everywhere. We are supposed to be a Christian nation. We've all heard the name of Jesus. Everyone's going to be responsible for what they did with that. If they rejected him, they refused him, or did they accept him? And see, it's everyone's personal responsibility to do what they need to do. And see, those that reject, we're told very clearly in verse 9, we're told that these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Another big movement in the church to not offend people is to write hell away from Scripture. To get the eraser out and say there is no everlasting destruction, there is no hell. We've talked about this often. There's a guy named Rob Bell who's an absolute false prophet who wrote a book called Love Wins. It means that God is so loving, he's just kidding about hell. There's no hell. Live how you want. That is absolutely not scriptural. It's absolutely not what Jesus said. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. And he said in Matthew 25, 41, he said, those on the left hand that have rejected, those that have refused the Lord, they will go away into everlasting punishment. The everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Wasn't made for man, but when man rejects God, it's the only other eternal place to go. Don't ever blame God for making a place and be like, oh, that's terrible. He's sending me there. No, you've sent yourself there. Everyone has a decision to make, and the Lord has given you an invitation in. Everyone wants to focus on why there's, why there's destruction, because there is great atrocity and sin. God is holy, righteous, and just, and the only thing that can remove your sin is His Son, Jesus Christ. 
if you reject that, no one to blame but yourself. He's righteous and just, and he gave everyone an opportunity to avoid such a place, such an existence. And notice this. The eternal destruction, you know why it's so terrible? This is important. Now, again, my man David Guzik pointed this out really good. <laughs> he said the fire, right, that we think about in hell, it's not the fire. That's terrifying. But we just talked about Daniel's buddies who were able to stand in the fire with Christ. It's the absence of Christ in the fire. You go to a place where there is no longer, read what this says, what it's away from. It's away from the presence of the Lord in verse 9 and from the glory of his power. When we hit hard things in our life, what we always say is, I hope it'll get better. I have a hope things will change. That's no more in an everlasting destruction because God is going to not be present with you to deliver you. He's no longer interceding. The time for intercession, it's occurring now in your lifetime. Jesus Christ is available to intercede and take your appointment of wrath that you would obtain salvation, as 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says. Amen? And I know I'm generally preaching to the choir, but I blended into the choir for years growing up in the church, and I didn't respond to the grace of God correctly. I trampled the grace of God. I didn't have a true conversion in Jesus Christ until 2008. And I'll tell you, for years, I grew up in a Christian home. That I was taught the Bible, and I went to a good church. My parents did everything they were supposed to do. But yet, I had to make a personal decision for the Lord. Your wife can't make it for you. Your husband can't make it for you. Your mom or dad can't make it for you. There is no group coverage fire insurance in the Bible. <laughs> you need to make a personal confession that Jesus is your Lord. And when you believe something according to the Greek language, you live after it. For years, I told people I believed in the grace because I wanted to cover my sins, but I wanted to continue living in sins. That's not what the people of God do. <laughs> Amen? Amen? We're a new creation. Let me be clear. doesn't mean perfection. We strive to be holy as God is holy, as 1 Peter 1 says. We strive to live as Christ has lived. We will fall short, and that's when we come to confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as 1 John 1, 9 says. Grace is where it begins. Grace is what allows us to be sustained and be sanctified. And it says again in verse 10, it says, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. If you have believed the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you should live in a way to where Christ will be glorified when he arrives. And there should be something in that where he is admired because you're like, yes, Jesus, you came. This is who I've been waiting for. This is it. I've been dying for this moment. How many of us are praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus? It's how Revelation basically ends. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We can't wait. Do you know the world is saying, stay away, Jesus. Don't come here. The world does not want Jesus to show up because he's going to judge. But those that are in Jesus, there is no condemnation, according to Romans 8.1. We are so excited that Christ is coming for his people. Amen? Amen? Look how it ends, 11 through 12. It says, Therefore we also pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying over the Thessalonians. And he says, this is what I want you guys to do. I'm praying for you all the time as a, as a, as a quality under-shepherd, right? 
If you guys don't know what that means, what we mean is there's the good shepherd Jesus, right? John 10, 11. He's the good shepherd. He gave his life for the sheep. But there's under shepherds that have been appointed by the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 20, 28, to minister to the flock, to feed the flock. Jeremiah talks about feeding them with knowledge and understanding from the word of God. Any pastor that is faithful to ministry is going to be praying over his people. And the prayer is that God would count you worthy of the calling that he's placed upon your life. Let me tell you what that means. You might say, well, that means I have to do something then? Well, yeah, you should respond to the grace, amen? Respond to it. There should be evidence in your life that you have turned from these dead idols, from the false peace of this world, and put your trust in the true peace that is Jesus Christ. And as we do that, it's such a blessed thing because we're living the way we're supposed to. Ephesians 1.4 says, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy without blame before him in love. Now, without blame, again, I had stresses, stresses all the time, does not mean perfection. We aim for perfection. That's our mentality. But when there are things in our life that are making us fall short, we don't just tolerate them or celebrate them. We remove them. Get them out of your life. Colossians 3.5. It says, therefore, we should put to death the members of our body that are on this earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, it says. We make gods. It's been said that our heart, it's an idol factory. There's always something that we're coveting. There's always something that we want to put our hope in that's tangible. And the Lord says, no, no, no. You see, we need to realize that there is a day that tangibility is coming. When we stand before the Lord and we lay our eyes upon him and see him and we admire him for who he is, amen? We have to stay in the word to continue in these things. And I love it. It says here that we would fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. It's a call to walk in those good works of Ephesians 2.10. And we have to understand it's not our power doing it. It's the spirit of God in us that's doing it. Amen. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We are incapable in our old fleshly ways of doing anything the Lord has designed us for. But when we come to Jesus, we are given his Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1 tells us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, we become the temple of the living God. Amen. the Lord will use us to glorify him, as Matthew 5.17 says. And we should live in that way. We all have something to do this week, amen? We all have something to do until we gather back here. I mean, hey, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maybe I don't see you guys anymore. Maybe we all go home. That'll be cool. Amen. <laughs> Until then, we have something to do in the Lord. Don't let this stuff happen in the world. Steal your peace. Don't let this stuff in the world send you into a panic or a spiral. Man, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your head full of the word. Keep your heart full of the love of God. And man, the Lord will put you in spots where you can glorify him, being absolutely walking in the grace that we have been saved by and that we continue to walk in. Amen? Did you see? I had to point out that's how the chapter ended. According to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been bombing out this week, man, get up out of your sin. Start walking again. <laughs> Come back to the Lord. Confess those sins. He's so good to draw you back in, fill you with the Spirit, and send you out to do his work. Man, we should be excited that we have an opportunity to glorify the Lord in this time, in this place, in this season. I don't know how much time we all have here. <laughs> no one does. Again, I always say it, and I don't know who I stole it from. I want to say Jack Hibbs, but by rapture or by rupture, everyone's going to go be with the Lord at some point. And so with that said, why don't you guys stay out with me and we'll come before the Lord.